Welcome to a new episode of Bangong Podcast. I am Nick Jimenez and I am filling in again for our usual host, Chef Michael Beltran. Uh, but we do have another podcast coming in the next day or two that includes Mike, so he will be back in your podcast feed soon enough. In the meantime, we're bringing you more phone conversations with a variety of people telling us about how they have been experiencing and adjusting for the coronavirus outbreak. Uh, this is, uh, we've recorded these over the last few days, but this is all being edited together on April 8th, just to kind of give you a sense of time and place where we are with this uh, pandemic. So uh, we'll be talking to a variety of people about how they're adjusting for all that. On this episode, we're going to start with Margie Pekarski of Bee Heaven Farm. That's a farm that you've probably heard referenced uh, at least once or twice on the podcast uh, they are in Homestead, Florida, and they're a supplier to Mike's restaurants, among many others. Margie gave us some perspective from her corner of the agriculture world and told us about how COVID-19 has changed her relationship with consumers and restaurants. So uh, just to, to start, um, you know, tell me a bit about how you're doing uh, personally, because I think we're, we're deep enough into this thing that, you know, I, I think more and more people are having uh, sort of personal connections or, or you know, uh, uh, experiences with uh, COVID-19. Uh, are you and your family and everybody uh, all right to this point, or have you had a, a run-in? Well, so far, so good. Uh, we're all taking more precautions um, as we go because we are, I am at least for sure, encountering the public. Um, and then my the rest of my crew is as well. We're being extra careful now. Uh, this last week, we started wearing a face mask out at, at the checkout, um, and, and we're we've been varying all our routines. We're, we're kind of settling into a routine now, which is nice because we're just tweaking things. Um, we we one thing that's changed big time is just who we do business with because the restaurants as you well know um, all they got is takeout and that's very small and plus the grocery component and that's worked out well with chugs or they're coming down and buying stuff usually on monday to stock up right and then we at the farm have had a huge resurgence in our CSA program, and that, I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's a computer, excuse me, community-supported agriculture program. Right. That was a weekly or bi-weekly share that we deliver, and we've been doing that since 2002. But over the years lately, it's been dwindling a lot because most people, I mean, people don't hardly cook. Uh, they were hardly cooking. They were going out, doing takeout, all sorts of things, and now. They're stuck at home. They're cooking. They want food, so they want fresh vegetables. So it's been a little crazy for us because we've had this huge increase in enrollment. So just the, even though our season is is winding down now, our growing season here, they're signing up like crazy. So that has made us just given us a ton of work. I'm not going to complain, <laughs> uh, but it's just crazy. So we've been busy nonstop where people are getting bored. I don't think we have a moment of boredom here at this point. Yeah. And I'd say we're all we're doing well. We're all 
healthy. So far, so good. Fingers crossed. Right. So for, for people who maybe are, are not familiar with your business, talk a bit about what uh, the scope of the business and what you all did, you know, to sort of describe uh, Bee Heaven Farm, uh, at least what it looked like before all of this, right? Like what what was your previous normal? And then we can sort of move into the adjustments that you've made over time. Well, um, we are and have continued to be a small, highly diversified, certified organic family farm down here in Redland area. We started in 1995 is when we bought the property and we became certified in early 1997. And we've always had a mix of vegetables in the growing season, um, which is the winter here, herbs, edible flowers, uh, and then fruit, we have tropical fruit. And we have chickens for eggs, certified organic eggs. We also have beehives. I have a beekeeper that takes care of that because I'm allergic. So um, we, we have the honey. And um, we always, we run a mix of the CSA that I mentioned a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. and then com- couple with going and selling at markets. And we were at Pinecrest Farmers Market for many, many years. Uh, we recently withdrew from that market where we've been doing more. We've always done events too, but we've been doing more of the events, maybe once a month, once a year type of things in different areas. And we were starting to concentrate more down in our local area to try to build up more of the business in Redland, in Homestead, and in Florida City. Well, that, that was starting to creep up a little bit, and then everything came to a screeching halt mm-hmm. last month. And um, so now we so we have no, have had no markets because or events because everything got canceled. But the last uh, three weeks or so, we decided that we're just going to go ahead and open up the farm Friday afternoons, which is when our on-farm pickup would be for our CSA, and just uh, Put it out there for the public to also come. You know, let them let them come, and they've shown up. And we've been at it for three weeks now, and each week has been more and more people coming. We're we're very grateful and we're very happy about that. And I think one of the things that's great about it is that people get to have an outing to come out here. You know, before people didn't want to come out here because oh, it's so far, it's such a drive. But now they want to because they're, I guess, they're, you know, you're stuck at home. You want to get out and do something. Oh, and we, you've got to go grocery shopping. So go out to the farm, get the food straight from the farm and enjoy the countryside while you're driving out there. So yeah. it's, I think it, it, it's a very happy um, shopping event. I mean, it's, it's funny, but it's, it is. Yeah. Tell me more about, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the resurgence of that CSA program. Uh, to the extent that mm-hmm. you're able, can can you give me a sense of like uh, how much growth you've seen there? Well, we had in the first week and a half of the essentially starting the shutdown here, we had a forty percent increase and in our enrollment, and now we had another probably another thirty twenty thirty percent increase again. Now this we're going into the last two scheduled distributions for the season, which is, brings us to the end of April. 
We are going to probably decide within the next two weeks whether we can extend or how much we can extend into May. The month of May is always kind of funny because it's very, very weather dependent. It starts getting really hot. And if the rain start, everything gets muggy and all the pests come and everything gets killed. So we usually try to end the active season in the April. So that we're still trying to follow the original plan, but with an idea that, you know, if we can, we will continue through the through May. Right, right. Uh, what are some of the things, uh, if anything, that, that you've heard from customers, especially new ones who maybe had never, uh, you know, been a part of that CSA program or, uh, you know, you mentioned people are cooking more now. What are some of the things just anecdotally that you've heard uh, from people that, that you've come into contact with at this time? Well, I mean, we, we always have an experience when we get new people because we have lots of unusual, weird and tropical vegetables and fruit and herbs that we grow. I, I thought you were going to say and you have so a lot of weird always... tropical people coming through. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we got them too. <laughs> uh, actually, it's not tropical. It's more the temperate people because we, we got, what happens, people come down from up north and they think that the summer is when you buy the vegetables, but no, that happens here in the wintertime. At least the vegetables they're used to. And then we have strange things like kohlrabi. Uh, we have uh, colors of turnips that, you, you know, you normally don't see in the in the store if you even see them. Uh, we just, I, and I like to grow weird and unusual things. So that's always a fun thing to watch them. They come and they look at, what is this? Is it really a tomato? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So that that's fun, and then I always try to educate them and show them, you know, because they have no clue. What am I going to make? What can I make out of this? So you, my, my daughter gets in with to it too. She will all jump in and explain, and uh, kind of have a teaching moment. So we really enjoy it. Yeah. So one of the things that I've been asking people, uh, you know, across the board, whatever they're in, uh, is whether there are maybe it's like lessons that you uh, have learned over this or sort of like, are, are there takeaways in general, call them lessons, call them practices or whatever it might be that you see yourself taking into the future, even beyond however long this crisis lasts. Uh, you know, to, just to give you an example, like I know I've spoken to some uh, restaurant owners who, you know, uh, have talked about the prospect of keeping the new bodega aspects of their businesses moving forward, just sort of indefinitely. Mm -hmm. uh, in your case, in the case of a small farm, uh, what are uh, maybe lessons or practices that you see sort of outlasting uh, for you this COVID-19 thing? Well, one thing is for sure that, I, I, yeah, this has changed. From the very beginning, we've never really been open to the public at the farm because we're, we have a small crew, so I never felt like we could really take care of the public coming on. And then we also live on the property, so that there's kind of a privacy issue thing going on as well. So we, we would have, we always had a one, you know, one time a year, we'd have our annual open house farm day, and we'd have like a farm stand that we'd set up, and then we'd have hay rides, and we have food and music, and it was fun. Um, but other than that, we we rarely had on-farm events. Uh, we would invite our CSA members at the end of the year for a gleaning thing, or we might have a little party. But it, that might be maybe a max of three, four times a year we'd have the public on. We'd sell our seedling starts at the start of the season a couple of times. 
but now I think yeah I've been toying in the back of my mind you know should we should we have people always want to come out here and buy and I think this has pushed me to it uh, I we're enjoying having that Friday afternoon farm stand mm-hmm. and so I think that's become a permanent thing we're actually going to have for the first time ever hours that we're open to the public yeah so that that's a big change for us uh talk a bit about um how maybe not your relationship has changed but how the business and maybe even the relationships have changed with restaurants in the area um so for example uh, you know uh i've twice bought the vegetable kits that uh mike uh, has been selling through chugs. Tell me about how this has changed the nature of your relationship <laughs> with some of these restaurants and how you see it affecting it like in the medium and long term. Oh gosh. Well, I mean, I don't I think it's too early to really conclude anything yet. Um, okay. uh, we have we have restaurants that are completely closed and they're doing absolutely nothing right now. So when they reopen, hopefully we'll get back to where we were before. Um I don't know. Then we have Cases like Chugs or Babes uh, with Jason, who right. expanded. He's he's always bought stuff from us, which he has used in his dishes. I'm not talking about Babes Meat Counter now, but now he's also doing the bodega thing. So he's buying extra, so that he can also sell. When people come and pick up the meats, they can also pick up veggies. And we offer, and we have been offering a bacon share for the last couple of years uh, in our CSA. So it's there's a, a more of a relationship between us, uh, a lot more interactive than it was before. And likewise with Chuck, you know, Melissa's coming down to, to shop before I always just delivered. So it's kind of nice to, to have that more of that interaction. So I'm hoping that once things calm down and we try to get back to some, well, it'll be a new normal. I think, I think we're going to find a whole lot more, online stuff happening and hopefully we we will keep all this this kind of idea with the bodega um, a little more re- reminds me a little more european kind of thing um, sure you know my brother lived in paris for many years i go visit and it was always fun to me that you go downstairs and you know there'd be a shop at the bottom and then in the corner there'd be the bakery and around the corner there'd be a little market that's set up three times a week and you know, everything was like right there, but you went to one for one thing, you went to another one for another thing, and maybe you went to three different bakers because in one you got your bread, the other one you got a special pastry. You know, I'm so it, it was. I think I'm hoping we're going to see more of that happening. Right, right, yeah, and I think especially as people start to catch on to the idea that some of that, from a from a business standpoint, you know. In diversifying your own business sort of uh, makes you more nimble and adaptable, especially, you know, as we come out of this, we're going to be stepping into hurricane season. Uh, and and oh, I, yeah. I think it's going to give people a, a sense of, you know, uh, of that kind of diversification as a hedge, right? Uh, for, for their businesses not having to shut down when things get uh, too rough. Yeah. Well, that's always been my mantra. I mean, here on the farm, we we've had the last <laughs> The, it started with what well, started before when we had the oriental fruit fly that shut everything down here for a few months and then uh, after that has been a series of things that the last set of them was hurricane irma came around and just 
demolished a bunch of stuff around here and damaged the avocado trees. All this time we had avoided getting the laurel wilt problem with the beetles. Well, the hurricane just twisted all the trees and broke the bark open and every beetle in the world crawled in there and termites and here came laurel wilt. I've lost two thirds of my avocado growth. So that this is now, the farm is now evolving to yet another work in progress, another iteration of itself all caused by these disasters and catastrophes. And sure. I mean, we're still recovering. <laughs> so, yeah. But we're evolving. And one of the things from the very beginning is I always diversified. That's been my thing. Don't just rely on one thing. Don't just grow one thing. Don't just have one market. Have different outlets so you can be flexible. And, and that helped us to pretty much immediately turn around and start offering Increase the shares. You can do a special order on the same weeks that the share is, so you can pick up your order. And we we grew. We went and uh, thanks to Chef Mike, who offered the use of Arietes front porch area to have our Coconut Grove CSA pickup and and web store orders because it just got huge. And we we were having it at a local house in the Grove, which they've been site hosts for us for years. But their portico entrance was small and narrow, and I could just imagine people trying to climb, just cram in there, and that that was just not okay. That was right. the social distancing. So this this has worked out perfect. This coming Friday will be the second pickup. The first pickup went really smoothly, and so yeah, it's really cool that that this happened. Yeah, yeah. For that, I mean, that's definitely not cool in any of this. Right, of course, on, of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm really. I'm just very optimistic about the kinds of, of response and and all the farmers down here uh, who've lost and, and basically. I mean, you've heard the stories. They're losing their business. They have to plow food under. That some of them decided. Well, let's just offer it curbside, and there's so, they pack their boxes instead of having pallets and pallets. They just have their truck full. I mean, they they sell out a whole semi truck in less than two hours. So now two or three of them are getting together, and I think that's excellent because I think that's good. That's the wave of the future for here. Sure. Um, so last thing before we wrap up here, uh, tell me about um, you know just how f- uh, produce is uh, handled from uh, from when it's uh, harvested to when it's sold because I know you know people are always concerned, not always, but you know during this. Uh, COVID-19 outbreak, one of the yeah. the things that people are concerned with is, you know, how the food is handled, how it's delivered. Uh, it's one of the reasons I think that people have turned to uh, restaurants and these, you know, sort of new, call them pop-up bodegas, because they don't want to be dealing with, uh, you know, the the crowded and the, the way the transactions are done at supermarkets and all that. So just talk about, like, on your end, uh, what, call them protocols you've put in place uh, for for all that, and also for the health and safety of of your own staff. Yeah, well, for us, I, I can't speak for the big farms that work out of packing houses, and you know they have a their distribution mechanisms are completely different. But we are a group of small growers that work together. We're kind of like a, a loose coalition of, of growers. We're all either certified organic or I personally vet 
a couple of two, two or three other growers that work with us who are pesticide free and I make sure that that's the case so we don't endanger our organic certification. But because we work together um, and, I, and I'm the one who coordinates the CSA part of it, um, I put together, I can put together a pretty varied box of stuff because all, each of us has several things that we do really well and maybe not so well something else. So once I combine all of our little group of farmers, we can come up with some pretty varied boxes and a lot of nice varied produce. So what happens is every week or every other week when I, whenever I'm designing, I craft the share, I decide what's going to go in it. And then we pull from each other. And, and this all totally depends on what's ready to harvest that week. I don't even know. In fact, right now, today, I've got one farm back. I'm going to hear from two or three others, and we'll scope our own out tomorrow morning. And then by tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to figure out what we're putting in the shares and what we have to offer this week. I send out the availability list. And then Tuesday morning, you have to order only Monday afternoon till, till Monday night because Tuesday morning before the sun rises, harvest lists are out. I let everybody know this is where we're going to harvest this week. This is what I want from your place. This is what I'm getting from my place. We put it all together. So what happens is on Wednesday, we go, there's one, one farm that's uh, out in Punta Gorda. They, they used to be here and they relocated there some years ago, but we've been working together from the very beginning. I go and pick up whatever we're getting from them. The other, some of the other local guys just bring me what to our place, what they're harvested. So the farm, Harvest puts it into the, the harvest totes. Either we go pick them up or they bring them over here to us. And then we either send them right back out in the totes if it's for somebody else, or we pack them into the boxes and they go to the customer to pick up. And that's it. That's all the handling that happens to it. Yeah. So it's really only touched by a couple of pairs of hands and that's it. Contrast that to an operation that goes, packs it, takes it to packing houses. In the packing houses, they may be graded, sorted, handled by a bunch of different hands and machinery to get it all sorted out and packed. So you had the harvest person, and now you got the other packing person. Then it goes out to, let's say, a, a, a distribution warehouse for a grocer. Those boxes will get, again, distributed out to the various groceries. They go into the back area of the grocery. The people there may open them up, look at them, decide where they're going to put some out or they're going to store some in the back. They'll bring them out. They'll open that box. They put it on the on display. And then every shopper comes around and handles it, looks at it. The kids, uh, kids sneeze on it, uh, you know, whatever. Right. And eventually somebody buys it. You take it home. Well, you have no idea how many, how much has been handled. So that's one thing that I, from the beginning, we pointed out, hey, if you're buying straight directly from the farmers like us, our stuff is never going in a packing house. It's just going straight. We put it together and straight to you. That's it. Um, never mind that fact that you're not having to go into buildings and crowded shopping. I've been to the grocery store twice and I really don't want to go back. Right. right. Um, you know, this is this is open air. Minimal handling, and it's yours. I you know it. Not only that, you actually know, you know, you know who's touched. It's going to be us, 
and I can tell you exactly, and I do in the in the shares and availability, everything. I I operate on full disclosure. I tell you exactly where each thing was grown, by whom. Right. So, God forbid we had to trace something. We we could do it. We could say, hey, this there's a contamination or or there's somebody sick. Uh, we know we can spread the word and and it's easily traced within our circle. I think that's something people feel good about. Yeah, no, it's not hard to see why. Um, all right, so uh, just to, to wrap up, uh, let people know, uh, do all the shameless plugging. Uh, let people know where they can find you online or, <laughs> or how they might get in touch or, or even just even if they're not even in the area, right? I, I imagine a lot of people might just be interested in, in following because they like looking at, uh, at pictures of nice-looking vegetables and, and just, yeah. you know, curious about how you all do things. Well, we are... We have a website, we're on Facebook, and we're on Instagram, and it is Bee Heaven Farm, and that's spelled B-E-E as in the buzzing bees, heaven as in the skies up above, H-E-A-V-E-N, farm with no S, because it's just one of us, we're unique, we're singular. So beeheavenfarm.com, and our Instagram and uh, Facebook, uh, Facebook handle is at beeheavenfarm. All right, great. Well, thank you so much, Margie, for uh, for the time. Appreciate it. You're quite welcome. I, I love that you reached out to us. Next up, a call with Michael Ortiz. Unless you're new to the podcast, you have for sure heard Mike referenced a lot, and you might even have heard his appearance on Pancom Podcast. If you're a super diehard fan, you have heard episodes of the podcast that he and our own Mike Beltran did together, which was called Tea Time with Mike and Mike. Um, so the last time that Mike was that Mike Ortiz was on our podcast, we published that about a month before the U.S. restaurant shutdown was in full swing. Uh, Mike is the founder of Jojo Tea, a purveyor of high-end teas, and we talked about uh, how his business supplying high-end teas to restaurants, hotels, and other customers has been affected by this pandemic. Thank you, Mr. Mike, for uh, for joining us again on the podcast. You were our guest, actually, like, not before the coronavirus outbreak, but maybe like a month before we really started to feel it in the U.S. and in the restaurant business here. Uh, I think we ran your episode February 15, so it was like roughly a month before. Uh, so I would recommend to anybody wow. who who doesn't already, you know, isn't already familiar to go back and listen to that episode with Mike Ortiz. Uh, it's a good, like, primer on what you guys do. So unlike some of our other guests that we've been doing these coronavirus conversations with, you know, we're not going to get too deep into just, like, re-explaining uh, your business. But the uh, sort of cliff notes of it is that you guys are a purveyor of uh, sort of high-end teas uh, sourced from many places, primarily Asia. Is that right? Yeah, but what we do is we study the, you know, if you study the history of tea, really the, uh, you know, historically, the most, uh, the most significant teas all come from Asia, you know, tea specifically was born in the southwestern region of China called the Yunnan province, kind of between Tibet and Thailand. And uh, there's over 6,000 years of history of tea in that little pocket, you know, it slowly spread throughout all of Asia. But real tea growing, you know, is just kind of getting started in South America, but it's very young. They're just kind of trying to figure out how to how to do things, you know. Right, right. 
and they don't they don't have like the same kind of consistency and dependability that you see out of Asian teas because they have they've been doing it for so long. You know, the product is so consistent and. Uh, uh, so at any rate, uh, yeah, we source tea from China, from India, from Taiwan, from Japan, from Sri Lanka, yeah. and uh, from Kenya as well. So we keep an eye out for history in tea, but then we also keep an eye out for innovation. And we also source some teas from like Hawaii and, you know, Nepal. And we keep our eye out for new and innovative gardens that are doing interesting, tasty Got it. stuff. So in, in your case in particular, talk a bit about, just so people can kind of understand you know, what you had to adjust and transition from. Talk a bit about what your business looked like before all of this COVID-19 stuff started to happen and affect you. Well, in the before days, (laughs) it feels like it was so, it feels like it was so long in the time before. It feels like it was so long ago. It's crazy, huh? Yeah. Um. What we do is like, uh, what we used to do was we sold tea to about 300 restaurants and coffee shops and hotels and bakeries. And um, we would kind of specialize in, you know, if somebody was drinking tea outside of their house, basically, you know, if they're having tea at a hotel, if they're having tea at a restaurant, at a bakery, we would train the staff of the restaurant to be able to speak to the tea, speak to the flavor profile of the tea, ideally be able to speak to the caffeine content of the tea and like the uh the ideal time to have the particular tea because some teas have a two-hour time release on their caffeine so it's not really the kind of thing that you want to take down after dinner you know necessarily right so um yeah yeah so so you know the the business was selling tea to restaurants hotels bakeries coffee shops and we just got our we had just uh finished setting up a virgin cruise line with a tea program wow and they were going to launch they were going to launch april 1st and uh they're i mean they're postponed now until august so we'll see you know but we'll see the state of the cruise industry after all this it's just i feel like uh you know it, it feels like there are some really fundamental shifts and changes going on and you know, I think that uh, to plan too far ahead of this, I think is silly. But that w- that's what we did before was, at any rate, was to do uh, was to sell tea to food service establishments. You know, now we're focusing more on the website and trying to focus more on uh, how to encourage the uh, the local tea drinker and the national tea drinker to uh, have tea at home. You know, right. I think that uh, yeah, yeah. We, um, you know, realistically, like we were talking about before we started recording, you know, if you like a lot of our fans go to restaurants and and we'll have a pot of tea or a cup of tea for like five dollars. And if you're having tea at home and your budget is five dollars per cup or pot, you I mean, you can have some real you could have some like world class tea. You could have some really amazing stuff. And with uh, with five dollars worth of a lot of teas, you can also steep it many times and you'll be able to you can enjoy that all day. You know, there's some teas that, you know, we have uh, we have some aged teas right now from 1999 and from uh, 2007. That you can steep maybe like 20 times, you know, so you could drink it all day for like two days. Yeah. Um uh and you know and that's i mean that that would be like maybe six dollars for the for a pot like that 
So there's some really uh, some really interesting teas that uh, that I'm trying to figure out ways to get to get them out there. You know, if I don't have the restaurant to kind of serve as a bridge, I've got a you know we 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 obviously keep up with our Instagram and whatnot, but we're more kind of trying to put together a uh, strategic plan about you know uh, how to set up some education and different content um, that can. That can help people understand the tea, you know, and that can help people taste the tea and get access to the tea. And I think that, you know, there's a, there's a group of people around the U.S. now that are doing virtual tea parties every day. Uh, so I think that that's a really interesting thing. Right, right. Uh, but, yeah, I think that the, uh, you know, the, my, my particular challenge is like, uh, you know, I'm, that I'm like hyper passionate and obsessive about tea, right? So like, uh, you know, I want people to like take on tea as like a lifestyle. I want people to drink tea like every day, you know, to buy tea, to have at home and then to sit down and heat up some water and let themselves relax for a moment and then put some tea leaves in a pot and hit it with water and sit for a moment as the water unfurls and then drink it and taste it and appreciate the, the, the nuance and the complexity and the deliciousness of it. Yeah. And then uh, to do that for a while, you know, and that's the, that's the, that's the mission. Right. You know? So talk a bit about, you know, and I know that you guys had done some of this before, right? Some of the, the, the content marketing for, for lack of a, you know, less marketing-y term, uh, has always been to sort of educate the consumer, even if they were going to the restaurant. But, um, you know, how do you see that fitting in now, uh, and and what sorts of directions do you see yourself going in? Because now, you know, aside from educating people on the product and how to sort of be discerning uh, drinkers, there's also sort of almost like a like an educational component of the process of actually, you know, preparing the product for themselves, which has to be a bigger component of what you're doing now than before, no? Yeah, well, uh, you know, truthfully, it 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 hasn't been. And it should be, so it will be, you know, <laughs> like, I think that, uh, I've been focusing a lot on the, you know, as far as the, as far as the Instagram posts go and, and the Facebook posts, I've been focusing more on the teas themselves. Uh, but I think it's been a while since we've done like a how to kind of, so and, and that's, go and, ahead and, do that. and that's why I say like, I, that's why I said like, you know, what direction do you see yourself going in? Because even though it feels like it's been forever, really very little time has passed. And I think, you know, there, there's so much to adjust for. So that's not to say like, oh, you know, obviously you've already made these adjustments. There's a million other things that I'm sure you guys had to uh, read. No, I mean, uh, yeah, I feel like, you know, it feels like over the past, like a couple of weeks, if, like, you know, I honestly, like, it, it's almost like, I don't even like feel comfortable saying this, but, but, but the truth is that like, for the past couple of weeks, I feel like I've just been like, uh, it's almost like I feel like an astronaut, like looking down at things. It's like, I go to the office sometimes and like, I just sit and like, you know, I'll be in the flow of doing work and then I'll like sit down for a moment and I'll just kind of like, uh, space out. I don't know. It's like, yeah. uh, it's, um, you know, cause, cause, uh, you know, we have like the, the pace and of, of work that we were set up at and that we were operating under was we were a very small team packaging up enough tea 
for 300 accounts, you know? So there was a pace of like, boom, 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 boom. You know, the tea coming in, logging the, the receipt of the order, packing it all into bags, boom, labeling it, labeling it all, like writing by hand the date that it was labeled, who labeled it, boom, 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 you know, receiving all the orders from the restaurants. It's like from one day to the next, all of that bah, was gone. Right. I mean, like there, there were, there were times that we had 40 orders in a day, you know? So it's like, uh, for all of that to, you know, when all of that is just like instantly gone and you're sitting in the office, which was like the battleship, you know, it's like right. the, it's like the, the center, the hub of, of all of the in and the out and the, and the incoming tea from Asia and, uh, and, uh, and then the packaging of it. And then the outgoing to all the restaurants, to all the coffee shops, to all the bakeries, to all the, to, you know, to the hotels, whatever. It's like for all of a sudden to be in that space and everything is just suspended. Everything is just like, whoop. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, it's, it's, it, it's like, it felt like, uh, and feels like, uh, like a concussive punch to the face. Like there's the, there's the pain of the moment, but then there's also the, like the subsequent confusion and, and like, uh, sense of, uh, no, no grounding, no footing, no, like, you know what I mean? Like, what what base do you build on to build a to build a normal during this temporary, you know, hiatus of everything? Yeah, it's it's Just funny like, not not so to I, not to sort of belabor the the metaphor, but uh, it's funny that you put it that way. I was actually just listening, maybe it was yesterday, to uh, an interview or something with uh, with Chael Sonnen. The uh, re- well, I guess he's not retired. I think he's still active in like uh, some other promotion than UFC. But he was sort of talking about the uh, different experience of getting knocked out versus getting hit by a punch, which I think this is sort of where so many of us are now, where uh, it's just below the knockout, where you're still conscious enough to feel the pain. And it's sort of that, right? Like you've gotten punched in the face, but you're still here and you like keep moving and you feel it. It's not like it just sort of, it's not an actual shutdown, at least not for food and beverage, because everybody is still trying to figure out like, okay, now that I'm just dazed, like, what direction, where am I right now? What do I do? Uh, how do I keep moving? Um, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, something like that. It's uh, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like, it's like getting your bell rung and then you know that more is coming. Right, right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's like, uh, you know, it's a... Uh, it's a very like adrenaline feel. It's the craziest time of my life, you know. I right. mean, about everybody's life. What the fuck? I'm not special in this, you know. We, I mean, of all of our lives, this is something, you know. It's like, <laughs> yeah, at least it's at, like at least professionally it's, for it's sure. Almost a, dude, I mean, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know about you, man, but but for me, dude, that, that personally, everything. How what? How how does this not transcend into every crevice, every corner of your life? Right. You know, tell me one part of your life and this doesn't affect. No, no, of course, of course. Um, you know, it's like the, 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 yeah, the repercussions of this thing are, are amazing, are terrifying, are endless, you know? It's yeah. like, uh, yeah, I think, you know, I, I like, yeah, I, you know, I, I, to, to wrap the idea of like, all we can do is, try to face each day and each moment 
to the best of our ability at that day in that moment, you know? And I feel like right now it's like, okay, you know, it seems like right now the whole focus of the company of, of what's left of the company, you know, uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week needs to be how to make it more accessible at home, you know, and how to figure out how to do that and tell that story for free because, you know, all, all of, we were, we had cash flow before, you know, we had, we were, we had 300 accounts and now it's like literally all of the accounts are just boom. Yeah. Yeah. Done. So, it's, uh, uh yeah. So, so one aspect of of what you guys do, uh, I think, is is unique among the other people that we've had this kind of conversation with, and that is that you're dealing with an agricultural product that is basically a hundred percent not from around here, right? Where restaurants, part of the draw of you know uh, of a great restaurant, is that they're working with. Uh, very sort of like local seasonal produce and that you know the farm. And, and in this case, you're dealing with uh, people who are producing uh, on the other side of the world. And so your supply chain uh, looks a little bit different. And, and I wonder what you can tell me, and this isn't really something we talked about before, so I'm sorry that I'm sort of springing the question on you, but it occurred to me halfway through, um, what you know about how this is affecting the farmers you deal with, because that's a whole other reality that they're living, uh, again, primarily in Asia. So what I know about the way that it's affecting the farmers and the tea makers that I deal with. Correct. I, so, okay. The, we've, we've been aware, you know, like Nanan and I and, and the Jojo team have been aware of the coronavirus and, and what its potential repercussions could be since like December, you know, I, I, I mean, I, I, arrogantly whatever whatever you want to call it I, I didn't think that it would get here but we saw how serious it was in china but from back then we knew that the areas that that, ha that get the most devastation from coronavirus are and the areas that have the most cross-contamination and the most the highest rate of infection are areas with high uh, urban density like high population density i should say high population density right yeah so like the city centers the urban centers those are the places where this is being transmitted very quickly right and that's i mean that would, like we see in new york you know new york is like the place in the united states where the people are the most stacked on top of each other and packed tight together and they have you know like we see what's going on with we see how they are they're uh devastated by this because it spreads so quickly amongst people but so all of that to, all of that is to say that tea grows far away from the city centers like the further the better you know there there are you know the mountains that grow tea are miles and miles and miles away from the cities right in, yeah. in most cases you know and and it's not it's not uh, unlike the you know sort of rural uh areas of the US right the the midwest and you know, states like North Dakota are living a very different reality and responding very differently than, say, New York. Of course, of course, of course, exactly. So, you know, what we, uh, you know, this year there was a big uh, close down of China, where because you know, you know about the, the in China during Chinese New Year, basically the whole country shuts down for two weeks, right? 
Chinese New Year this year was, I think, January 24th. And whenever it's Chinese New Year, there's a two-week holiday that happens. And all the businesses in the country close down, right? Like temporarily. Okay. So uh, that happened uh, January 24th. And usually after those two weeks, then like business opens up again and you can get shipments and stuff like that, right? So the tea, like the people that are kind of like, uh, like the, the people that deal with the logistics in tea, right? Because like, we, okay, we'll buy the tea from the farmer, but then the farmer will send it to one central logistics like hub. You understand? Uh-huh. That will like, that will gather, because it, it doesn't make sense for us to send over, you know, five kilos of this tea from China and then eight kilos of that tea from China and then 250 kilos of this tea from China and then, you know, 300 of that one and then eight from, you know what I mean? Like in, to do those all separately, the shipping cost like uh, very quickly multiplies, right? Right. But then if we can like, if we can like make a bunch of purchases in China and then aggregate them and, uh, and consolidate them into one package and then send that, then that ends up becoming a lot, uh, a lot cheaper, right? Right, right. So the point, is, yeah, yeah. So, so the like the that kind of like consolidation process was on hold until like until like a week ago or two weeks ago is when is when everything opened up again as far as the ability to ship and whatnot. The harvesting of tea, though, which again is like far away from all the city centers that kind of like really gets started in mid-March usually. So that all happened and was completely unaffected by this. Got it. Yeah. The, all the tea was harvested and all the, all the like new white teas and green teas and yellow teas that'll come out this season, uh, were harvested, you know, in the past, like, uh, three weeks max. And by that time, like, again, the, these people are far away from the cities and these provinces of like Yunnan, uh, in particular, didn't get hit by it very hard, right. you know? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. These, the, the more rural areas, they're kind of, uh, a lot less effective. And then, and then, you know, to kind of like belabor the point and, uh, play with it a little bit more and take it a little further. Even if they, even if like worse comes to worse and somebody that was infected is manipulating the tea leaf, you know, but like when they pack the tea away and close it and seal it and ship it and it gets to us and we open it. But I mean, at least 30 days have passed from the time that that person has touched the leaf right to the time that you're to the time that you're touching it so like that there would not be anything there wouldn't be no live uh uh viruses in it you know honestly i got like honestly nick like like that's part of the really kind of uh scary thing about this whole thing is that you know it's uh it's unfortunate but there's a big like uh there's a tendency in a lot of people especially at a moment like this to like react with fear and to react with like a uh, anti-Chinese sentiment. And it's like heartbreaking, man. It's like, we're supposed to be better than that as Americans. And, um, you know, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm like, I'm worried about that. Cause I don't know, like, what can I do against that? It's like, dude, there's no other, you know, like green tea is just Japanese and Chinese and 
and white tea is just Chinese practically. So it's like, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, uh, yeah. I mean, I, th- I think I to some degree though, it's, that. it's, you know, it's what we've been talking about, right? It's, it's, uh, the challenge, I guess, is just educating the consumer because there's, you know, of course there's some, uh, anti-Chinese sentiment, but there's also, uh, a not totally irrational fear, not of Chinese people, but of contact in the same way that like, you know, I know people who are afraid <laughs> of dealing with me because they know that I deal with, uh, you know, some people who are in the food industry who come into contact with their customers and with their own employees and are not totally hold up. You know, if, if there was a, you know, if there was an outbreak, um, you know, which God only knows whether there is now because they're so opaque about, uh, about this kind of data. But if there was a serious outbreak in Cuba, and we had people traveling to and from Cuba, uh, you know, I'd be a little skittish about croquetas. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but at the same time, I totally hear what you're saying. I think that there's, there is a level of, of education that is necessary because, you know, there are, at some point that becomes an irrational fear and it becomes, you know, something that ends up, you know, hurting people that don't need to be hurt, you know, uh, for no reason. To, to your point, you know, about not having seen it coming, even though we saw, you know, how, how it was affecting China, um, a few months ago. I think it's also easy for a lot of people to lose sight of the fact that, you know, they, they may think of things like, for example, SARS, uh, that was in the early two thousands. Uh, and, and that, you know, did not really have like a, as dramatic an impact as, as this has had, but we're also talking about a country, China, I'm looking at a graph right now, so I'm kind of cheating a little bit. China, 2000, what, 2001, uh, let's call it 2003. That was the SARS outbreak. The GDP was 1.66 trillion. And if you move over to 2017, we're talking about 12.24. So you have a country that has been radically transformed since some of these more recent pandemics. And, you know, they're, they're behaving, uh, economically a lot closer to what the U S is behaving where people are traveling internationally more. Like you have so many more Chinese people, having you know, afforded the opportunity to to leave China and to explore the world and and that complicates some of this more right it's all that globalization thing and it sort of speaks to how dramatically things have changed just like in half of you know most of our lifetimes half of yeah in half, of course yeah man no i mean it's like you know i i didn't i didn't visit china during its uh horror days you know, I visited China and I was in Taiwan in 2015. I was in Yunnan, Sichuan, Fujian in 2017. Uh, and, you know, each of those uh, years for about a month, a month and a half. And like, you know, everybody, the, uh, the story that I heard a million times was uh, how much things have changed. You know, that people used to be so much more poor you know, right. but, uh, I mean, especially tea, you know, tea has, tea has exploded, you know, it's exploded. Like, you know, the average tea farmer in throughout China and Taiwan is not particularly wealthy, but then a few of them, like if they hit a home run, like if they win a, a, a championship, if they win a, a competition, then their teas all of a sudden are going from, you know, they're going from like a few hundred dollars a kilo on like a wholesale price point from like a few hundred dollars a kilo, they'll, they'll jump to like $70,000 a kilo. 
right, right. if they win a competition, you know, they win like national competitions. Yeah. So, uh, so like the, the, the wealth and the subsequent demand for tea in Asia is nuts. You know, it's because it's like, it's, it's, it's treated as, uh, as almost like a gourmet medicine, you know, and, and, and like a daily part of life. The idea is if you drink tea every day, you'll be healthy. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> just pick one pick, pick pick a few that you like and then just drink them all day every day and you'll be healthy and don't worry about anything else that's it and scientifically it turns out to work out <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> you know <laughs> there's the caffeine and the l-theanine and all the antioxidants and the polyphenols and then the tannins and the way it breaks up fat and the way it helps your metabolism it's true like it, it, you, you drink it every day and it just it just makes you more healthy and that's it you know right um so then you know when there's that like uh that level of understanding on a cultural level you know and then there's also the level of refinement to be able to appraise the qualities of the different producers and to be able to appraise the quality of the flavor profile and of the mouthfeel and of the like energetic quality that's felt after you drink the tea and the way it makes you feel you know when there's a culture that's like uh like kind of practice in that it's yeah. crazy there like you know they'll they'll throw they'll throw i you know i've tasted tea that's 500 500 bucks for uh for a pound you know yeah so yeah it's like it's just uh it's, they like the the value for the tea in, in in like i think is too high for it to i don't know for it to like uh for them not to find a way to, to, to keep tea production going. Right, it's right. It's such a deep part of the culture, you know? And, that's, and, and that's then part again, of, luckily, it's, well, and I was yeah, luckily say, it's so far away from the cities. So. Right, and I, and I think that that's part of, you know, what I find so interesting about businesses like yours on, on any scale is that, you know, it really is, you know, whether you set out to do this or not, it really is sort of like uh, such an important component of, this global economy, you know, because here in the States, you know, and, and I get that during a crisis like this where, you know, uh, it's, it's natural to sort of think about the immediate needs uh, and, and the needs of the immediate community around you. Um, but there are a lot of other places like, for instance, China, like India, where people are much closer to that line of like of an economic shutdown of a day or a week or a month, meaning the difference between feeding yourself and not feeding yourself. Um, and, you know, part of the reason why, you know, some of these places are no longer there, or at least not in the same, to the same degree is businesses like yours that have connected them to the outside world through products like tea. Uh, so, you know, God willing, uh, you know, this will not, not last longer than it absolutely has to uh, because the, you know, the ripple effects are, are big. And I think, you know, in the same way that some of these restaurants are so important to the economies of, you know, some of the restaurants in Coconut Grove are so important to the economy of Homestead, you know, you guys are, you know, an important component of a lot of people's lives that, uh, that we'll, we'll never see or, or, or be in the same room as. Well, you know, thank you first. Thanks, thanks a lot for saying that. I mean, I, I appreciate it. Uh, but, you know, I think that it's like, uh, there's, you know, it's not, it's not like, and, and like the tea is so delicious that, that like, I don't, I don't feel like there's like a redeeming, uh, you know, uh, 
there's like a redeeming quality to it. It's like, dude, the tea is so like the yeah, like it, it will help save the world because oh no 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 if, if it tasted if it tasted bad I wouldn't drink it anymore. <laughs> You know, it will save the world because it's just, it, it, it supports sustainable farming and it supports uh, artisan crafts makers and it supports like tradition and culture that directly translates into scientifically uh, provable and just and uh, scientifically provable benefits. Like all of that is true, but at the same time, it's like, man, the deliciousness and the goodness of the tea is so much that like. It doesn't even need to do all that stuff. It's just right, like, right. it's like, uh, it's just so, yeah, whatever, you know, it's just so delicious and so rich with, uh, with history and detail and stories that like, you know, that that's, that's almost like enough of a reason to enjoy it. For sure. So on that note, uh, and, and along those lines, suppose that somebody's listening to this, they're too lazy to go back and listen to your full conversation with Mike, which is probably more because of Mike than because of you. Um, let's, uh, <laughs> Let's let's tell people, you know, if they go to sipjojo.com uh, and they have never done this before, what is like the the starter set? Like what's the stuff you got to have to kind of get into this with all this time at home that people have now? Sure, sure. Well, I mean, like, you know, there's a it's, it's OK. You, you can take it as far as you want to take it. The starter set, really, I would say all you need is a way to heat water and a cup. Because the way that most people drink tea in China is something called grandpa style, that it's very unceremonial. You just, you take a cup, you know, like a glass, it's like a, you know, like a pint glass, for example, and you take either a kettle or a pot and you fill it up with water and you bring the water to a, like a rolling boil, you know, not a violent boil, but a rolling boil. Once it reaches that point, you just take some tea leaves, you throw it into the cup and then you pour the water onto it. And if you want to be extra fancy, then heat up the cup first, pour your boiling water into the cup and then pour that out and then throw the tea in and then throw fresh boiling water on it. And that'll make the, the tea much more aromatic. Um, but that's, that's, that's all you need is hot water and something to put it in. And then, you know, you throw the tea leaves in and you hit it with boiling water. And then eventually the leaves will sink down to the bottom of the cup. And then you just drink from there, you know. Now, from there, there's uh, teapots, you know, and there's like the classic teapot that's just like a little glass or a porcelain thing. Um, that, that's kind of like the Western style that came to us through uh, East, uh, through Western Europe and through England and so forth. And uh, that is more developed for the British style of drinking tea, where you put a little bit of tea with a lot of water and you brew it for a long time, like five or six minutes, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. The the Chinese more like a refined way of brewing tea and the more uh, I'd say the most flavorful and aromatic way of brewing tea is called uh, typically called Gong Fu style. And for that, you take like a lot like, you know, you, you, you could practice this at home if you just have like a, a small cup, like let's call it like an eight ounce uh, glass cup, right? If you throw like a big tablespoon of tea in that cup and then you pour boiling water on it and you only let it, so, you know, it's like maybe four times the amount of tea that you would use for a big pot and you're only using like, like half or less of the water and just let it sit for like a few breaths, literally like pour the boiling water and then take a few breaths and then strain it. And if you, if you would brew the tea in that way, you'll be able to brew the tea many times back to back to back to back to back. And like that, you'll get the best possible flavor extraction 
because you have like a maximum concentration of tea leaves and you're just kind of taking little sips out of them instead of blasting them, you know, with a long brew. Right. So there's a few different options, you know, yeah, there are a few different options that you can play with. Um, but, but I think that the, the thing to remind yourself is that it's, that you're playing, you know, because like you're, every, every cup could have been better, you know? <laughs> so it's like a lot of times because people are afraid to make something that, that they're not going to like, you know, what if I make it too strong? What if I make it too weak? What if I make it wrong? Then they get afraid to play with the thing in the first place, you know? And I think that that uh, is a shame because like that kind of like really, uh, you know, not, I mean, not just from, uh, from the perspective of like wanting to sell tea, but from the perspective of wanting to live an interesting life, you know, I think it's like, uh, if we're surrounded by people that are afraid to try new things because they might fail, then like, what a boring ass world, you know? Right. That's why you're such an interesting guy. Oh man. Hey, so uh, just to wrap up, let's do all the shameless plugging. Where do people find you? Uh, all that. So if you go to sipjojo.com, we just put up some new uh, subscription options. And these subscriptions are ways that you can get our Everspring Mulong, which is like a, a Taiwanese master crafted tea. Uh, it's made by uh, one of our favorite tea masters who's over 80 years old. She's been making tea literally since she was seven. And she's a legend. Uh, she's amazing in Taiwan. Her company's only run by the women in her family. You can subscribe to that tier. You can just purchase it one time. Uh, then we also have our morning after blend, which was developed specifically for the launch of Virgin Cruise Lines, uh, Virgin Voyages. Um, so it's kind of like an English breakfast blend, but all from, you know, uh, it's, we, we have a blend of two different cooperative teas and one estate tea. Uh, so it's like a couple different like small growing cooperatives in India and in Nepal mixed with an estate tea from Sri Lanka. And uh, it's really kind of like deep and rich and flavorful and kind of like jammy tamarind and guava notes, but with like a deep kind of molasses body that takes milk real nice. Um, so, yeah, like those are the two teas that we're highlighting right now on sipjojo.com. And uh, we just uh, launched the subscriptions of them today, actually. So that's pretty exciting because we've never had like single item subscriptions before we've just had the jojo club which is more of a curated little collection mm -hmm. but that's the that's the newest news good stuff well hey jojo.com and sip sip jojo on instagram also sip jojo all over the place hey <laughs> <laughs> thanks again for for the time bro and we'll uh we'll for sure do another uh jojo sipping episode in person inside of a tight social distance when all this is behind us. I look forward to it, man. Uh, you know, thanks for, thanks for continuing to do what you guys are doing and put the good word out there and, uh, much love guys. Same to you. And, and you know what? And, and, and by the way, man, I just want to say to all of Miami F and B family that's listening, man, like God bless you all, man. You know, I miss you all. I love you all. Let's uh let's get through this together and and you know and be as optimistic as we can and you know this is uh something unlike any of us had ever seen coming so you know um, if there's any way that I could be of help feel free to reach out to me on Instagram whatever uh, you know Michael the Jojo or through the Sip Jojo Instagram uh, don't hesitate to reach out because this is uh, crazy times and if you feel like I'm talking to you when I say this I'm talking to you don't hesitate to reach out okay oh, baby. <laughs>
All right, bro. Couldn't have uh, said it better. That's why we keep you around. <laughs> All right, bro. All right. Man. All right. Hey, Nick, thank you, man. You guys. Finally, a call with someone who has a totally different angle on this thing. I got a text from Matt Kusher of Kush Hospitality, also a previous guest on Pancom Podcast, asking whether I wanted to be put in touch with a magician for this episode. So it might sound weird, but it was interesting to hear from somebody with such a different relationship to this whole health and economic crisis. Alan Chamo, that's his name. Alan Chamo is a mentalist who performs primarily on cruise ships and at conferences. Uh, or at least he did, until he had to make some hard pivots when those two venues were, uh, as we all know by now, no longer on the table. Thank you, Alan, for uh, for joining us on Pancom Podcast. This is a, a little bit different from what we, we typically do. The rest of these coronavirus-related interviews have been people from the food world, but you know when Matt uh, got in touch and told us that uh, that there was an opportunity to bring on somebody who is in such a, a different and unique field as magic, uh, I thought that would be a, a, a fun and, and also just an interesting and, you know, sort of illuminating uh, way to, to get a change of pace here. Uh, so just for the sake of, uh, of setting it up and giving people a picture, tell us a bit about, about what you do in normal circumstances, sort of taking a time machine back to pre-corona time. Yes. Well, thank you for having me. And yes, it's a different maybe profession, but we are all in the hospitality, so we all depend on people, on the, you know, on, on how many people show up, uh, and, uh, and that's basically we are in the same boat. Uh, so yeah, as an entertainer, I mostly do corporate events like uh, expos or conventions and uh, private. Uh, not so many, not so much private, but mostly corporate events and cruise lines. And as you can imagine, the cruises are completely gone, and also the conventions. So uh, all my shows uh, were canceled up to I would say August. And so yeah, that's that's the, my main thing. I do theaters as well. Actually, I was supposed to be this week at the Broad Performing Arts Center. You probably uh, your listeners are familiar with that. It's one of the biggest theaters i think it's the biggest in, in south florida and that was uh, also postponed to october Um so new reality and actually in a way i'm also very grateful because i was supposed to be on the on the zandam which is the cruise that is now on the on the news that uh, docked in here in fort Lauderdale like two days ago oh, wow. with the uh, with covid so i was hired to be on that one and they canceled my they canceled me like a few days before and uh, not because of the coronavirus, well, it is because of the coronavirus, because I got off another ship and there was not 14 days in between. So they, they, that was a new requisite that they had. And due to that, they canceled my contract. And I'm so thankful they did because I would be stuck on that ship. Um, you know, <laughs> wow, yeah. it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So yeah. tell me a bit yeah. about... Um about your performance uh the performance itself what you know when because uh, when people hear reference to a magic to, to magic or to a mentalist you know that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people uh describe a bit of of what you do so yeah i'm a mentalist a mentalist is like a magician with mental issues <laughs> that's the way i <laughs> if i frame it uh, but basically mentalism is a, is a branch 
inside uh, the world of magic. Uh, but as a mentalist, I work more with uh, interacting with people, with the with their thoughts, with their choices, with the influencing minds. Um, so I combine a little bit of everything. So influencing minds, I combine hypnosis, and I combine bullshit all together, and that's mentalism. Got it. Basically. Got it. Uh, so yeah, it's a very interactive, very interactive show. Uh, very funny audience participation. They come on stage. Uh, so and then the idea is to you know have a good time. Uh, blow their minds and uh, let them uh, leave the theater with more uh, with more questions and answers in a good way. Right. So I, I imagine you know that not imagine I'm I'm sure that you know the the things that you had designed and and worked into uh, your performance until recently didn't account for all of the the social distancing that we're doing now. Uh, so how? Have you had, and we'll get into like the business side and, you know, just having an audience at all, but how have you had to adjust uh, your actual performance and, and the things that you do for this new reality? Well, it's a huge shift. Uh, and it's something that I never in my life imagined that I would be doing. Because when I designed my show, it was all about the opposite of what we're supposed to do right now. It was all about being inclusive, bringing people, uh, handing stuff, touching stuff. Uh, even with the hypnosis, sometimes I, you know, I, I grab their, you know, I shake their hands. And I, so there's, <laughs> so now I, I have, I had to shift not only the, the fact that I don't have the people in front of me and I cannot hand them. For example, I cannot ask somebody, hey, pick a card and they cannot take a card. They cannot, touch anything obviously right and so now it's everything done through the screen so the big question is first of all it has to be believable because when once it's through the screen it's you know people like to think different things and also how can uh, why why they're going to see me when they maybe can just go to netflix whenever they want or and just watch a show what what the difference would be so so that's that's a whole new game that uh, i have to play now and i started working on a new show i'm still practicing and doing it actually <laughs> the, the best way to practice is actually doing it uh, and the show also basically people i would do it i do it through zoom or through teams for for companies um, and I will start also doing uh, Instagram Live. But the good thing about uh, applications like uh, Zoom and Teams is that I can actually uh, bring somebody up and ask them to choose something. So, for example, think of a card or think of a number or uh, of a name of somebody that you would like to see now. And, um, and I can have an envelope that is sealed in front of them all the time and never leaves the screen and it's all live and, and then... I opened this envelope and inside is exactly what they thought about uh, that specific person. So there's a, so I, you have to think about outside the box. Uh, you, it's a whole new medium. Uh, I found, I found actually a few things that are, uh, you know, it's, it's even better for this type of medium and not for live. Uh, so there are, there are some, uh, there are a few advantages. Uh, 
but the hardest part for me it would be that you don't have that feedback the live feedback from the audience where you can see their the reaction and, uh, and the applauses and so that really feeds back into you and it's very needed so in a in a in this type of shows, normally the companies ask everybody to mute their mics so there's no noise and, right. <laughs> and I can just see people. I can just see, see people giving me a thumbs thumbs up or, or applauding or maybe putting in the chat, you know, something like wow or something like that. So I need to get used to that. Uh, very, very different. Yeah, I have to imagine that even just, you know, aside from the, the mechanics or the technical uh, considerations of anything that you're doing, it's also just sort of like that uh, feeding off of the human interaction, which in a way is something that you and, and so many other people share with the restaurant industry, right? There's a, there's a, a, a feeling that you have to look for elsewhere when you're not engaging on, on that human level with people as well. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, yeah. Like just like in a restaurant, uh, you know, when you can engage with somebody and, uh, and be personal and maybe tell them a little story. Um, my case is, is can be through magic or, or the story can highlight whatever I do. Uh, people remember that, you know, that that's why people come back. Right. Um, so yeah, it's a different medium. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm thankful that, that I can do this. Uh, it's obviously not the same uh, in any way, and also money-wise. Um, <laughs> I think that the, one of the advantages is that I can do it from home. I don't have to fly anywhere. Right, right. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so talk a bit about that. About you know what what has the transition uh, or the adjustment you know led you to? What are uh, some of the? I don't even know because I don't know exactly what you've been doing. I don't know if to call them gigs or jobs or performances or what uh but but what have you been doing over the last few weeks so yeah i'm i'm actually right now shifting my business and trying to uh, to adjust um i'm still in the process of creating a, a home studio basically to have uh, multiple cameras be able to switch between cameras uh, be able to mix uh, sound sound effects uh, background music uh to make a, an entertaining show because it's not only about me opening my laptop and uh, jumping on a call. Right. Uh, so lighting. So there's an investment here, uh, which honestly, I don't, I, I have no idea what is going to be the return on investment. Um, so it's, it's right now I'm going through all the phases of, uh, of, of pivoting, but I think that, after all this is done, when I say this, I mean the new reality we're facing, uh, things are not going to be completely back to normal. Right. Uh, pe- I believe that people will uh, continue using this medium, not all the time, but they will suddenly realize that they got used to and comfortable doing, conducting meetings this way. And maybe they're going to start doing a, uh, conventions and things like that online uh, so in a way I need to I, I always try to look at the bright side of things so I'm, I'm investing all this time energy and money uh, to create a show that, that goes through the screens and interacts with people 
So when all this is done, I will have both of the products, the right. live and the virtual. Right, right. Um, yeah. So uh, talk a bit about uh, just, uh, again, sort of on the subject of that transition, has it been more about uh, adjusting your existing, uh, uh, I don't know if to call them, what, what would the appropriate term here be? I don't know if to call them uh, magic tricks or your routine or... Uh, uh, yeah, routines. Yeah, so, routines would be. Yeah. So, has it been about adjusting uh, your existing routine, or did you find like, you know, for this new medium, I really have to scrap it and start from scratch uh, and build from the ground up so that it makes sense in this new, you know, format? Yeah, yeah. So, I I think that probably it's like uh, the same as a chef creating a new menu. I would imagine, and that's what I did. Is I I'm, I created a list of everything that. I do that I feel comfortable with that I know that people love and then I start putting next to it all the negative you know can I do this through the screen uh, so if it's not possible because of a technical reason or because it just doesn't it's not believable through the screen then you know I scrap it and then I left with whatever I know that works uh, and now it's a matter of making sense you know what's the order of it you know what would be uh, the first course, you know, the, the introduction, first course, the, you know, uh, main dish and dessert. So uh, to put it in terms that uh, all your listeners uh, can relate to. Um, and, and yes, and I'm working on completely fresh new material that is specifically designed for this. And not only designed for this, this is material that will not work out of it, basically, if I need to to do some of the things to somebody live, it might not work, and I cannot explain right. more than that. Right. right. <laughs> so, uh, so in that vein, why don't we just go ahead and, and take an opportunity here to uh, let people know how to find you online, uh, and also talk a bit about you know some people you know and and I don't really know what it is that. Uh, you know, speaking of menus, you know, what your uh, product offering is at this point, but uh, just in case there are people out there who, um, you know, may want to uh, hire you for whatever the online version is that you're doing, what what sort of customer or event, digital event, so to speak, uh, is, is ideal for this sort of thing? Because I know a lot of companies, you know, are now doing these like, you know, big zoom conferences and meetings yeah. and what have you. And maybe that's yeah. the sort of thing that they would want to bring somebody like you in on just to add a, a little something different to that. Yeah. So for companies, what I find that is working mostly is everybody right now is uh, conducting the meetings either on, uh, on teams Microsoft teams or on uh, zoom. And so I created a, a short show. It's about uh, 10, 15 minutes to start the meetings. So basically it's just, you know, people are right now very stressful, very negative. Uh, a lot of things are happening with so many companies. So the idea is to, to start the meeting with something uplifting, fun. And then I got, you know, after 10, 15 minutes, I'm done. I get off the call and they conduct their business. So I find that that is something that is easy, quick, and everybody can say yes to it. Um, then uh, birthday parties. Uh, I still didn't do any birthday parties, but uh, I think that this is going to be the next thing because 
uh, I know that my birthday is coming up next week, and uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to invite everybody on Zoom. Right. So, right. Uh, so if anybody has a birthday, uh, you know, I'm I'm up for it. Uh, I'll be happy to celebrate with you. I'll entertain your family and friends. Um, so yeah, and actually, I'm going to be doing a show uh, on Zoom, and I can send you once I have the the link. I don't know if you if you can put it up. Uh, uh, but it's going to be also on my Instagram. So it's going to be open for everybody. It's um, uh, it's sponsored by uh, Deco uh, Productions. And um, basically anybody who wants to, to, to um, be part of it and participate is going to be on, uh, on Zoom on April 15 at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. April 15, 6 p.m. Eastern Time uh, on Zoom. And I'll, I'll send you the link once uh, once I have it. Uh, so that that's going to be your best idea on so you you can feel it yourself and be part of it you'll be able to participate very cool yeah yeah for sure we'll put the uh the link to that in the in the description text of the episode um yeah perfect and i'm going to start doing also some instagram uh, live shows uh, soon um the difference between instagram and something like zoom is in instagram i can i can bring one person maybe up or two people but uh um it's not that it's not but and people can write comments so if i ask somebody to choose something they can uh, they can write comments so it's a little different but uh it's still doable so i'm uh, I'm exploring all possibilities got it got it very cool um okay so with that i think we'll uh we'll wrap up and um we'll uh hope to hope that you know that a lot of the people who are listening here will will get in on that zoom thing and who knows maybe uh, we'll do something via Pancom podcast for for our audience to to get to know you and your work uh, that way on social. Yeah, I would love to. I would love to. And uh, yeah, if you want to find me on social, just it's uh, at Alan Chamo, A L A N C H A M as Mary O. Alan Chamo, like oh yeah, Chamo. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, you can find me on Instagram. And uh, yeah, if if you need me, I'm I'm available. Awesome. Thank you very <laughs> much. All right. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Are you curious to see what a magician like Alan is working on in the time of COVID-19? Us too. That's why Friday, April 10th at 6 p.m., mark your calendar, put it in your, uh, you know, watch, uh, whatever it is that you got to do, Friday, April 10th at 6 p.m., we are going to be on Instagram Live. That's at Pankong Podcast. We're going to be on Instagram Live with Alan Chamel, the magician you just heard from, and he is going to do his thing, and you can watch, maybe even participate. I don't know. It's his routine. I don't know I don't know what he's got in store, uh, but you can do all that right on your cell phone on Instagram Live. So tune in Friday, April 10th, 6 p.m. It will be just like one of those virtual happy hours that people do now, except with magic so maybe the best one i don't know uh just tune in instagram live at bangkong podcast if you miss the live version we will be making the whole video available permanently but only for our subscribers on patreon at patreon.com slash dade mag that's patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash dade mag d-a-d-e-m-a-g for as little as a buck a month, you could be getting magic. Seriously, what the hell's going on here? This is what happens when Mike lets me steer the ship. But, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. 
And now we're turning into a magic podcast, which frankly, I think is an improvement. As always, you can find past episodes of the uh, Pancom podcast at datamag.com. I was about to say magic on podcast. I don't know. Uh, at datamag.com slash podcast and follow Pancom podcast on all of the social media things at Pancom podcast. Leave us reviews, share episodes on social media so your friends find us. Make sure you're subscribed wherever it is you listen to podcasts, all of that stuff. Remember that you can go to datamag.com for more stuff including episodes of Step Into the Sandbox, a podcast that is about interviews with creatives hosted by our friend David Verjano. The latest episode's guest is Aziz Bakari, a visualization artist who does 3D renderings and other cool stuff. He and David talked about his work with architecture, working with major brands, and his role as a Google ambassador. That's it. We're done. We'll see you next time. Make sure that you tune in for Magic on Instagram, Friday, April 10th at 6 p.m.